Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and I again am joined by my co-host Shelly Billinghurst. What's going on, Shelly? Hey, Serge. Lots is going on. Let me tell you. I had a really funny thing happen to me, or maybe cute, actually. So I'm doing some interviewing. Love to keep my toes in the water. I will never, ever get tired of interviewing people and hearing their story. And so I'm I'm interviewing this candidate. And you know how at the end of an interview, I always say you can tell more about a candidate by the questions they ask you than them answering all of my questions. So at the end, I'm like, okay, your turn. I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Do you have any questions for me? And he goes, no, you know what? Like you really answered a lot, but he pauses and we're on zoom. He looks at me and he goes, did you just get your hair done? (laughs) And I'm like, I nearly fell out of my chair. I'm like, as a matter of fact, I did. And he's, I'm in a household of all women. I have three daughters. And of course my wife, I better pay attention to these things, but I just thought it was so cute. Well, did you, did it work? Did you move him to the next steps? Yes. You did. Yes. Were you convinced before or did you get? No. So because it is for a creative type role. Okay. And so it was observations of others because there's a lot of client interaction if you're working in that kind of creative industry. And yes, he had a very impressive work history. Really impressive. He'd done some, like his portfolio was like, wow, in the type of work he's done. So would you recommend someone in a normal situation even call that out in a Zoom screen? Do you know, Serge, I think the day we lose what it's like to be human and it's not like we're being robotic. I really, truly want to get to know this person well enough to say that they were authentic with me. And if, if that's how they would normally operate, yes, of course, it was very charming. It was very charming. But he didn't say it in a way that that was tacky or made me uncomfortable. It really showed me that he was comfortable enough with me to say something like that. I think that's interesting because flattery does work. I know I had once a candidate, female candidate gave me a compliment on, I think, what I was wearing or whatever the case is. She got the second interview right away. (laughs) I think I forgot about everything she said, but I- There's no recruiter bias there. That's actually a perfect segue into the four things we're going to talk about today. So let me introduce the topics. Cool? Yes. Okay. Okay. So the first thing we're going to talk about is picking up the phone. Recruiters, stand by. You're about to get blasted. (laughs) The second topic is we're going to chat a little bit about- What are some of the things you need to think about if you're going to give your current ATS the heave-ho or buy an ATS for the first time? So we're going to give you some tips on that. Next, we're going to talk about big drum roll, probably the most boring thing of all, and that is the employee value proposition. Okay, we're going to rock it like it's 1979 because that's actually when that whole term started. And then lastly, we're going to cover some current news of what's happening in the world of LinkedIn. So back up to the top of the order. Serge, I think I know where you might stand on this topic, and that is recruiters going old school, picking up the phone, 
in this competitive market for, and again, we're talking top talent. What are your thoughts about whether recruiters should actually use the phone or people don't want to talk to people? What do you think? Yeah, I, I actually think it's the opposite. If we take a look at what's happened in the last year, but this has been happening for decades that we rely on some type of digital communication, email, Slack, Microsoft Teams, or LinkedIn in mails. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things for recruiters that we have to consider. One of our key roles is building strong relationship with candidates, especially candidates that are maybe that top level candidates that eventually at one time you're going to want to hire them you better off starting those relationships as quickly as possible. So I'll go a little bit there. I think there's an other element, and this is for the staffing folks. When you're prospecting into corporate HR or corporate talent acquisition, we are getting bombarded by LinkedIn messages, by emails. True. I think there is value of just picking up the phone and trying to get a hold of that person because that relationship can be built a lot easier. So the phone for Mm -hmm. staffing recruiters or staffing business development, I think it should be a critical tool because I'll tell you, I don't get many phone calls anymore, but I do not want 300 emails a day plus hundreds of Slack messages, picking up the phone, talking to those companies you want to work with and not necessarily in a way, hey, I saw a role that you're hiring for. I have candidates for that. I think you can look at it in a couple of different ways, start building that relationship right away. But what I want to focus is on the candidate. Mm-hmm. What better way to build a relationship than having an actual conversation with them compared to exchanging emails? What's your feeling as you've been a candidate? How do you build your relationships with your recruiters that you're working with, either internally as so corporate or staffing? So I think in the staffing world, I think they're very used to it. I would think more used to building the relationship with the candidate by talking to them and having those one-on-one conversations, because that's really your value add when placing those candidates with your clients, right? This is not a matter of we texted each other once or twice. And maybe this goes back to something I've been harping about a lot lately, and that is feeling like there is a human connection, not talking to a screen, but actually talking to another person. And there is so much. Serge, think of the times where you are maybe recording or typing as somebody's talking, and then you're trying to convey what they literally said, but what you're missing is tone and pause and voice inflection. And how do you record a pause? Like when you say you are doing an interview with someone and you say to them, so tell me, when were you most engaged? And if somebody immediately launches into, oh my God, I had the most amazing opportunity to do this or take on that, very different than somebody who pauses let me think about that. And Mm. they start, they really struggle to ever think of a time where they were happy at work. Okay. Does that not tell you everything? Like you can probably skate your way through it. And what they literally said, you can see what they literally said because you recorded it, but what you're missing is the pause. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Question for you, as far as when it comes to that conversation, one of the things that I do when it comes to screening, and this is seen as really abnormal from a lot of teams that they come in recruiting is so they get a resume, they they review the resumes. These candidates are the ones they want to have a further conversation and do a screen. 
they'll go send them an email, then book a time through Zoom or, or whatever the case is. Now we're like two, three, four days before we actually have that first initial conversation. My tactic is I pick up the phone, I call them, be like, hey, I know I'm catching you off guard, but is this a good time? If it's not, I'll schedule. And I would say 99% of the time, they're willing to have that conversation right away, which saves a massive amount of time. But is this a wrong approach? Is this not respecting candidates? Because I've had some feedback, not from candidates, from other recruiters feeling that is not respectful to the candidate. What's your thoughts on that? You know, Serge, I'm with you because that sense of urgency. Okay, sit in the candidate's chair. Imagine setting the tone for your relationship with this candidate. I applied at, say, 9 o'clock this morning. My phone rings at 11 and you're calling me. How do I feel about that as a candidate? Like, holy cow. Now, if you work in a corporate environment where a sense of urgency, speed, results, if those are the things you're recruiting for, holy cow, have you just set the pace? And how does somebody feel? Like sit in that person's chair for one second and they would be like, wow. Okay, so I do have value versus getting an in-mail. They didn't check it. They call me back three days later. Really? No, you've nailed it. Serge. Okay, that so that's exactly my thoughts. What should happen? I look at it. If I'm applying for, for a job sure. and I get a call, I'm quite excited about taking that call. And there might be a circumstances I'm busy in a meeting or whatever the case or is. Or you're at work. Or I'm at work <laughs> yeah. or so I'll take the time and I'll give them a call back. And yeah. if we can't line it up, that's when we set up our schedules. We do it mm -hmm. that way. But just that they really drove the speed of it by having a conversation right away to see if it's a fit for both sides as well, because the salaries might not meet expectations or whatever the case is. So I guess the advice from this is don't be afraid of the phone. We've gone away from the phone in the staffing world completely, I would say I, there's still a lot of staffing business development people that pick up the phone and call, which is great. Also, you need to have a pretty good message. I think we could do a whole episode around that. Yeah. But when it comes to talking to candidates, do not be afraid to give them a call. Uh, I think you stand out. And the question I'm going to have for you before we move to the next topic is, what happens if you're sourcing them? You're calling them cold sourcing and you there's ways to figure out phone mm. numbers and there's actually pretty easy ways when it comes to sourcing and getting do you think that's a good tactic absolutely you tell me one person who wouldn't be flattered by that that you took the time and the effort to be the sleuth or the detective and especially if you have something of relevance authenticity in your voice even if you're leaving a voicemail, I can't see why anybody would not, unless there's presumption and like, it's just, it'd be no different than getting this job looks suitable for you. I just got sent one this morning, VP of learning. I'm like, that's not me. Like, why would you send me that? So it's the same thing. If you called and left me a voicemail and you're like, oh, I've got a job here for a safety manager. I'd be like, you moron. Like I'm not a safety manager, but if it's something that I do and you leave me a really compelling message and you sound like you're excited about it e equally, 
who's not going to return your call? If you're going to pick up the phone as a recruiter to call them, you're going to make sure that you have it bang on that this person could potentially be a fit. It's going to push you deeper to do that research and make sure compared to sending a blank email to hundreds exactly. of people, exactly. you're not really going to care what's wrong. They're, they're not going to respond. So what compared to being on the phone and being like, Hey, I'm calling you for the safety manager role. And, and the person on your line is like, are you a fucking idiot? What's wrong <laughs> with you? I think that's a really good point. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about applicant tracking systems. I think every time we bring this up, it seems like we get a lot of interest from our audience because Applicant tracking systems. Okay. I think we both have an opinion about it. So I'm going to open it up with you, Serge. What do you believe people need to think about before they even choose an applicant tracking system? We get a lot of questions on ATS because it seems to be one that everyone needs one. Everyone hates ATS in some ways, and there's so many bad ones. So really going out in the market and determining what the right fit and what the right ATS for you is either you're replacing the existing one or you're starting from scratch. And I think these are two completely different journeys. So I'll focus on the ones that have existing ATS. And I think the number one piece of advice, and I see this happen too many times, Mm -hmm. people look at changing ATS before having a deep understanding of the current ATS they have now. If you don't understand 95% of everything that it does in detail, you're not ready for a new ATS. That would be my first step. Having a really deep understanding of what you like, what works, what doesn't, what works in your workflows, and what is the candidate experience, understanding that. Because if you haven't applied to your own job, you need to do that right away because a lot of people, it's frustrating to see. A lot of people don't know even what the experience on their own ATS is. And what I suggest doing is then going to your competitors and not necessarily your direct competitors, but competitors that compete for the same talent mm-hmm. and go through their experience. And that will give you an idea of how good the candidate experience. And sometimes it's just how you have set up too. So let's put that in context. The yeah. other element that I think you need to figure out is what are you going to use it for? What is it being used internally? And also, I think we do this too often and there's two trains of thoughts is Like you have your business process and customize your ATS to it or, and a lot of times those processes are useless and have been built year over year and really no one has really looked at it and changed it. Mm -hmm. So you've got these crappy process and now you're trying to customize your new ATS to fix to basically work with these processes and not already shit. It's already shit. (laughs) I think you need to figure out and take a step back and understand what, really should be your process Mm -hmm. and how it should work. And that should not be the determining factor of how you choose an ATS because you might pick a really crappy ATS because it does this one process really well for you instead of adjusting your process again. Those are two of the key things that I look at as far as your ATS. I think we Mm -hmm. can go more in detail on some, but what do you look at? Because I know you've changed ATS several times in your career. Yeah. And when you're inheriting an applicant tracking system, it was chosen before you started with the company. I believe it is your responsibility to really understand what that product is capable of. I know in my last corporate job, I found out that we had been paying for a module that nobody'd even touched. And they'd been paying for it for, get this, seven years. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. You got to love the one you're with. 
first, right? Like before you go back out and find a new husband, you better figure out what's wrong with the current one, or you just keep making the same mistake over and over. So you're absolutely right. You need to understand, first of all, what do you have? What are you working with? Why aren't you using it? And, and fix that process first. And then if you need some new technology, because there are some applicant tracking and these are cloud-based solutions that have been out there and they really stopped investing in the product because they're maybe moving to a new product. And I'm not, I'm thinking specifically of Taleo, right? Like I, I don't believe they invested in anything new about that product because they knew they were going to go to Oracle Cloud, right? Did they sunset that product? Eh. I kind of think they did because we'd not seen any improvements in it. And I love your advice. And it's something that I always do. Even before I go meet with a new client, I will go through their applicant tracking system as if I was a candidate, because I know just from my experience of being a candidate, what probably is also repelling others if I go through your application process. So that's really sound advice for sure. And the other big thing is an applicant tracking system, I think is only as good as you use it and not just you, but do your hiring managers use it? Or are you constantly building processes outside of the applicant tracking system because it's so clunky and hard to work with? Then maybe it's time to choose a new one. And I would say, involve your hiring managers, get your hiring managers involved in selecting it, get them sold on the whole notion that they need to have the app open on their desk all the time. And it's easy for them. And it's intuitive. And you can see like, I'm transparent where I'm at. You don't need to come stand at my desk and ask me where the candidates are. You can go in and see at any time. One of the challenges that I've seen with many organizations, and I think this is common with HR folks, this is what my experience has been, is we try to over-process everything, and which makes it a lot more complicated for the hiring manager to use it. And if it's complicated and not straightforward, they're just not going to use it. Work with minimizing your process in the system and how much information, make it really easy for them. Mm-hmm. Couple of things, like if we're looking at, okay, what are the key features? What are the things that you need in this day and age? One of the things that to me is a non-starter is you should never have to have the candidate register before they can apply for a job. Oh, Amen. So it might have that option, but most ATS now have the option of turning that off. And that should be the number one thing. I should not have to register all my information just to apply for a job instead of just loading my resume. So I think that is is Mm -hmm. definitely a critical one. How does it distribute to job boards? Saving you tons of time by posting it once and automatically goes to 100 job boards. And you can turn that off. For certain jobs, you don't want it to go to all the job boards. But having an easy integration and flow to the job boards is the number one thing you should dig in. If you have a newer ATS, this should not be an issue, but it's something to consider. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other thing is, how deep is their integration? How complicated is it? Because in reality... This is how it works. You want your ATS to be the central hub of everything you do, because the minute you start using tools outside of your ATS, you usually stop using it after a while. When you get busy, if it's integrated directly in your ATS, that ATS is a good marketplace of companies that can easily integrate for like background checks, like everything that texting, code challenges, virtual career fairs. 
Exactly. If it's all yeah. built into your ATS and easily integratable and part of their marketplace, that should be good. Yeah. But the number one thing is you might be small, you might be large, but you need to have a system that can grow with you. Because the last thing you want to do is change ATS every couple of years as you double in size. Can the ATS grow with you? Mm-hmm. But every question should relate to two things. Are the hiring managers going to be able to use it? And two is what's the experience for the candidates? If either are, are screwed up, you need to move on. You need to look at other ATS, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you know, I think the telltale sign is when the sales rep for the software, whoever the applicant tracking system is, that they show you makes your life as a recruiter easier. Because what they know is that recruiters are chronic, I'm so busy. So if I can make this somehow seem like it's going to make your job easier, but it won't. If your hiring managers won't use it, and if the candidate experience sucks, they've just made your job 10 times worse. Yes, it may seem easier, but it's not. You brought up a good point, and we'll leave this subject on on this, is one of the things when you're doing demos with these software salespeople, make sure you're leading the demo because they're going to lead you to what works well and what doesn't. So do your prep, have the questions ready, figure out what you want to see and put them in a situation that you're just not going through their motions because they know what the triggers are. They know what works really well. They're not going to showcase what doesn't work as well. So make sure you're well-organized, well-prepared, and you're leading what you want to see. Yes. A great point. And so that is a great point to end it on. So let's talk about your employment value proposition. My mouth gets dry just thinking about it because they're so boring. Employment value proposition, really, they all sound the same, in my opinion. Everybody uses the same words. So I want to be clear here. When I say employment value proposition, Serge, I'm talking about those pillars of we will have honesty, operational excellence, those kind of really cliche words. Are, are you with me? I'm with you. Can you, for the for everyone listening, go through what the difference between employer branding and employee value proposition is a little yes. bit? Yes. Okay. In its simplest terms, employee value proposition are those things like your values, right? They're timeless. They will never change. Nobody is ever going to argue with you about honesty and integrity. Ever. Those are your employee value propositions and things like we will pay our employees on time. Okay, good, good. But those are like the anchors of what it what you will as a company stand by. Like these are our values. Employer brand, on the other hand, is it's the lipstick, it's the hair, it's the great clothes, it's all of the dressing around those anchors. So there's nothing sexy about an anchor, but they've got to be there. What's great is how you dress it up. So how you dress it up is your employer brand. So your employer brand is what is the experience like to work there? If the experience is that we are stable, that means at eight, not 801, but at eight o'clock, every single day, the doors were open. And we will take a break at 1045 every single day for 15 minutes. And if that sort of thing appeals to you, that's the sort of message your employer brand needs to convey. Employer brand is how you show your intention to the world of what you want people to know about what it's like to work there. And 
the great thing about employer brand is if it's doing its job, it's attracting people who are wanting the things that you offer and equally <clears throat> repelling people who are would just absolutely not be happy working at your company. So give me an example of employee value proposition that is there companies that do a really good job with it? So employee value proposition is something that is usually established by the executive team. They decide at the top of the house, these are the things that we value. Safe work procedures. We value honesty and integrity. Again, nothing that anybody is going to argue with, but without it, it's really obvious if nobody's ever put thought into what is our value proposition to employees. That is, we provide stability, we provide safety, we provide, everyone likes to say innovation, but that's usually what makes your, I, I guess your employer brand so boring. You're taking your value proposition, which honestly, it needs to be written down somewhere, but it's not something you put into a poster on your wall because it's the boring anchor that keeps us from floating away. Whereas your employer brand is your flag. It's, it, it's, it's what you tell people about what it's like to work there. And so if you're talking about that, oh, we're so innovative, really, I think if you look at every employer brand, those that haven't actually put any heart and soul into it, that's what they're going to say. They all say the same thing. The employer brand is we treat people with respect. But you look at their glass door reviews and people are constantly saying this place is toxic. Okay. There's no let's, respect in there. Let's look okay. at So you want to rebuild your employee value proposition. Maybe you're a talent acquisition leader. It falls on your plate. And I agree at the end of the day, it's usually decided by the executive, but it's mm -hmm. a big part of your job to drive that. Because in reality, if there's not a value proposition for people to join your organization, why the hell would they? Like in reality, they're going to come in and collect a paycheck, but they're never going to have any loyalty or no alignment to what the company is trying to achieve. So what would be your advice to people that need to rebuild their employee value proposition? How should they start? What does that look like? Yeah. Do you know what, Serge? I don't think you can. Because if the reality is that this is a place where people just simply come, do their work and collect their paycheck, there is nothing you can do with your employment value proposition if that is in fact what it's like to work there. So that's why employee value proposition is what's underneath the hood, right? It's the engine that the company makes decisions on. And so the fact is, if you're tasked with trying to change your company's image or reputation, that can only come from the leaders and from the executive because it's how they treat people, right? Like you can say that you've got the best benefits package in the world, but if benefits don't matter to me as a candidate, it's not a value to me. But if you decide that value to you is that you're going to give people at least five or seven hours a week to do work that is new ideas or your own projects or pursue being part of a team in another part of the organization, like true innovation and true freedom, then that's a value proposition because that's going to attract people who want that sort of 
think time or those opportunities. If you're joining a company and they tell you that you need to revamp the employment value proposition, you're probably a, a losing situation unless the executive has endorsed it and they've and and you have their full buy-in because you can't change the stripes. We have a, a massive role in influencing yeah. how those outputs will look. But can you actually influence the fact that if your employer does not value work-life balance, then picking up your dry cleaning is never going to happen. If they don't truly be family-friendly, then if you have to leave at 445 to pick up your kids from daycare, it's never going to happen. You will constantly feel guilty because that's not the reality of working there yet. What you may see is that, oh, we are very female friendly. What's the evidence? Show me the receipts. What's the evidence that you're female friendly? Is there a daycare on site? Really? If, if you really are female friendly, then you have a daycare on site and employees get a reduced rate. Yes. One of the things, like if you're in your value proposition or in any context, you're saying we're like a family here, please stop saying that because <laughs> absolutely not a family. Like it's to, oh, we're like a family here, but in reality, you're getting people to work. Well, come in Saturday and Sunday and, uh -huh. and you're not going to get paid. Be like, why would I do that? Because we're a family, we all need to chip in is usually the story we'll hear. So mm -hmm. never say to your employee, if part of your value proposition is we work like a family. If you're an employee there, please run really quick yeah. because that's not <laughs> well, a place. So, and there, therein lies the problem with confusing your value proposition with your brand, because if it feels like family, because it, it is really common in some places. And I'll give you an example. And I know this is absolutely true in some workplaces. If I'm building a deck on the weekend and it word gets around, you will see four or five employees show up with their fam with their kids to help you build the deck that weekend. Now, is that because of the company's employment value proposition? Or is it because truly it is a place that is like family. In other words, we're looking at your whole well-being. Now, how would you possibly, could you really influence a company's culture to do that? Or is that something that people do just because they truly care about those they work with? That's the sort of family environment that they're trying to say that it is. Not that you think about your relationship and how many fights you've had with your brother. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Geez. I want to deal with that every day at work. I think for everyone listening is do definitely take a look at what are the key drivers for an employee value proposition? And what's the difference between your employer brand? They go together. The employee value proposition is basically the foundation of it. And mm -hmm. then your exterior looking is your employer brand. Talking about employer brand, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting. So LinkedIn announced this week that they were giving basically their entire staff a week off. They are keeping some key people to make sure mm -hmm. that everything is running. So obviously on the technical side, yeah. but the yeah. great majority of people are all off at the same time. And I love that they did this because giving sporadic people time off is your emails still catch up, your Microsoft mm -hmm. Teams message catch up. 
uh, you're really not really off. When everyone's off and you don't need to worry about checking your emails or anything like that, it helps you in that sense to really take some time off and focus. What was your thoughts about LinkedIn announcing this? Can you know I was really surprised because the we I think we talked recently about the banking industry in the US getting a day off or taking a day off and but to have a whole week a whole week and the whole company. I really dialed back in my memory banks and I'm trying to think of, do I know, can I think of any other company that's ever done such a thing? Yes. So even when I was in oil and gas, we would have a celebration day where the whole company, skeleton staff stayed behind. Somebody had to keep the lights on for case of emergencies, but the whole company, we got the entire company together paid day off. We did something really fun together. I, about a week, the whole company for a week. I don't know. Have you heard of anyone else doing this? No, what I've heard is, so uh, the big bad empire indeed has been doing Fridays off for the whole company, I think every month for since the pandemic. So I thought that was great. And I love that LinkedIn is doing it because as we've talked about, the tech sector is so hot to try to acquire the best talent out there. And LinkedIn is competing with the Googles, the Facebooks of the world to Mm -hmm. acquire that talent. So showing that they do things like that, I think is really smart. I think it gives them a competitive advantage in the marketplace when people are considering, should I go there? And seeing that they've done this and they really care, they're basically walking the one. So kudos, LinkedIn, really happy about you doing it. Really curious if we're going to see other companies doing it. So. Well, the old saying is, it's time or money. And you and I talked last week about how quickly compensation has escalated, even in the last quarter or this time over last year for certain job families, which is the tech sector. So time or money, if you can give time, which is something they've done, you're right. It's very competitive advantage. It's very Mm -hmm. valuable. So on that note, another week of the recruitment flex. Okay, search. Enjoy you. your weekend. Thank you. And we'll be talking again early next week as we bring in Joe O'Connor from Visi Recruiters. I'm Tuesday. looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Serge. You have a great weekend too. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.